Welcome to International Insights, stories from the real economy. My name is Josh Gembry. In this podcast series, we've discussed some strategic issues, the digital and the innovation imperatives, the power to emerge stronger from a crisis, the skill of developing talent, the chance to turn individual opportunities into life-changing ones. But leaders and managers involved in organizations going international do not face these strategic milestones every day. What they do every day is following leads to new opportunities, prospecting to win new clients, building a reputation for the firm in some industry space. These daily practices of global marketing are the focus of our episode today. We have two guests sharing their deep experience living these global marketing realities. Sam Borge is the third-generation leader of Bortex, the textile group that has a long international story featuring manufacturing, private label, franchising and e-commerce. Matthew Uzmaya founded Pet Nutrition, a pet food company, taking on the big multinationals in the pet food space and doing so successfully. To them, I ask, what do you do on a regular basis to develop new prospects into successful marketing relationships? Sam Borge, Matthew Uzmaya, great to have you here on International Insights. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. It's great. great. This is an episode on the ongoing kind of market, international marketing practices of companies based in Malta with an international story. That's why we have you two here with us in the studio. I'll start with Matthew. What was kind of the first international inquiry and how did you guys, you know, land the first client some some time ago, I guess? Well, um, thank you, Joe. It was very interesting when I started way back 2010, when I left the family business. Um, it was quite difficult to, well, it wasn't easy to start building a portfolio. However, our vision was um, quite clear. We knew what we wanted. We wanted to be an alternative to the pet world. We had no chance of trying to tap any markets if we were like the crowd. So that was the starting point, having the right structure. But um, in two years, we managed to build the first few products because obviously the portfolio was nothing with what it is today. I mean, today we have a staggering 600 products on, in our portfolio. At the time when we started, it was merely 20 articles. However, these 20, 20 articles were developed in a way which could really make an impact in the market. And they were primarily um, targeted um, in the wet food category, where we knew we had a chance um, to tap the markets. Because at the time, um, the wet food was still emerging, and cats and dogs, which were basically our main clients, irrelative if they're in Malta, or they're in Asia, or they're in or they're in Europe or in Africa, they're still clients who can um, appreciate quality. Because it's, as you know, well, cats and dogs immediately when they um, get hold of the food, the first impact immediately um, translates and conveys if they like the food or not. However, um, it was very difficult to tap on monitoring getting you now close to the question to answer the question. But it was important just to give us a small background. Um, it was very difficult because we were unknown. Malta, a small island, a sunny island. We usually sell sea and, <laughs> and, and warm weather. However, um, it's, I managed to, following a lot of companies, one day, not to mention the, the particular company, I managed to find a company which was boasting all its distributors. And uh, this company, funnily enough, was just producing dry food and very, very high dry food. 
Um, but at the time, they weren't pro um, promoting any wet food, premium wet food. So what I did is, having no clients and still not attending any fairs, I started contacting all these companies, uh, which were based in Latvia, Switzerland, Czech Republic, and um, basically um, started contacting a number of them. There were about 20 or 25. But funnily enough, the moment we, we showed off this, our products and tried to uh, um, show these clients that our quality was in line with the dry food quality they were importing, immediately the impact was positive. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, we started our first markets, funnily enough, were Switzerland at the time. And that was a really, really important milestone for us. Uh, we had Spain as well. I remember we had Slovenia. And they, they were all the same distributors of this company, okay. of this foreign company, this well-known multinational. So we had, there was one client, really, and they had a lot of distributors, and you managed somehow to... It wasn't a client. It was okay. a company. Okay. And this company, on its website, was um, <laughs> showing, boasting, all the distributors around the world. Okay, okay, okay. So I said, "Why? Well, this is a really great idea. You know, this could be also interesting for people who wish to start, you know, right. and tap and find clients really well. Because they were all, they were all affiliated with premium, the premium products, mm -hmm. and getting hold of these clients um, through the website, uh, today, very few do it, because <laughs> they realized it was a bad move after. But at the time, um, it was a very good strategy, which um, we immediately um, noticed and went in for it. And that's where we started with our first clients. Um, there was an odd Turkish client who also was interested, but the big impact, the first big hit, was through this strategy we, okay. we, we, we applied. A very simple way of, of very starting. Very simple way, you know. cost zero, you know, and uh, it was no furs, exactly. no expenses. Yeah. But that really was a kickstart yeah. to get us off on the right And to also confirm that the product works, you know, because Precisely. it's always Precisely. like that. Precisely. Let me turn to Sam. I'm not sure if you were born when your, the first kind of inquiry of Vortex, you know, came around now, many years ago, of course. Yes, I'll have to delve into the archives. Um, uh, <laughs> and something, obviously, that being a third-generation family member, I'm, I'm extremely proud to tell. Um, I mean, the story of Vortex really emanates from from one man, which is my nannu, uh, Sunny Borge, who, in every sense of the word, was really a true entrepreneur. This was a self-made man who fought in the Second World War as an anti-aircraft gunner. He was one of seven brothers, and after the war, he left on the, with the British Merchant Navy and sailed around the world. I'm mentioning that because later on in this interview, I'll, I'll explain how we tied up this story um, to our brand Gagliardi. Uh, but essentially, he came back with money in his pocket from very um, interesting uh, entrepreneurial activity on board the ship. So a lot of trading uh, and deals across various parts of the globe. And when he came back, the first thing he did was actually import. He'd seen people wearing flip-flops overseas, and he imported a, a container of, of flip-flops, which within two days actually went. But it was clear his passion was actually on, on garments. And it wasn't until, obviously, the import bans when he said to himself that he had to start actually manufacturing. Mm -hmm. Initially, him and his brothers were manufacturing out of a small garage and workshop in Hamroon, where they would then hawk uh, the denim the following day. Um, and he started trading within the sector until finally he met a certain gentleman in Holland called Herman van Gils. Van Gils at the time was the Hugo Boss of today. 
such was his character that you know he immediately you know uh, created a bond and a relationship with Herman, uh, and they decided to set up uh, a factory in Malta. Um, making suits uh, for those people in the garment industry. Um, they'll tell you that actually making the suit is, is the most complex garment. Okay. Okay. But uh, such was my grandfather's kind of spirit and, and right. drive that he decided to go for it. Uh, and I still remember my nonna telling me um, the feedback that he got on the first order. So he called up Herman <coughs> Van Gils and said, Herman, you know, what do you think of these suits? He said, Sonny, I've got to tell you, the only good thing about them is the buttons. <laughs> <laughs> But obviously, client feedback. Uh, feedback. But obviously, with perseverance, um, that operation, which was essentially a CMT operation solely for Van Gils until they ran into financial difficulty, was the first true Bortex international client. Okay, what a, what an interesting story. Of course, then uh, all all the time since then. This is in the 60s, no? Yes. You've kind of changed not just the way you do marketing, I guess, but even the business model itself, no? Tell totally. us a little bit how, how the international marketing changed of starting to work in private labor later and eventually franchising the different chapters. How did that work? This is, uh, it's a great question. I think another thing Nando used to say is the only constant in business is change. Uh, so apart from our business model within um, private label garment manufacturing changing, particularly with the emergence of, you know, uh, the former Soviet bloc after the war came down in 89, uh, China, um, you know, so we were continually uh, um, changing and evolving. But then later on, my father really had uh, the foresight um, in the early 90s to branch out into retail. Um, so those were the two first stores here locally, which were essentially more like kind of factory outlets, really. Uh, but over the years, we got very confident with first making clothes for a lot of top brands, then retailing them. Uh, and I was at university at the time, I think my father reading law. Uh, and I think my father would have made a good fisherman in his previous life because he really dangled the carrot well and said, listen, you know, we're, we're making these clothes for these companies. We now know how to sell them. Why don't we create our own IP uh, and try and start our own brand? And it was at that point that I decided to come back from the UK. Uh, and very much hand in hand, uh, you know, with my father's wisdom and the company backing and my energy, particularly in the international remit, we, we were able to, to launch and internationalize the Gagliardi brand. Since then, uh, we've continued to, to grow our wholesale distribution, franchising and direct retailing models overseas. And I've also done some other interesting bits. Uh, which we can talk about in, in, in a moment. But what my, my, my question specifically is kind of the, I guess, attaining and retaining a client in private label is different from a franchising kind of client. Totally different. What is, why, why is the effort different from you as a company, from your guys? Well, you, you, you're controlling a different part of the life cycle. When you are when you're manufacturing for uh, another brand, you are essentially their supplier. Um, whereas when you are retailing your own brand with a franchise partner, you are in control of that, okay. that value chain. Um, so there are different dynamics within the kind of the fashion life cycle. Both have their pros and their cons. And without garment manufacturing, we would not have been able yeah. Yeah. to have any of the successes that we've had in the other areas today. It's almost like understanding the psychology um, from all sides of the, of the value chain. And I think that's given us a little bit of a unique position when trying to grow in these different because you've been in the different stages exactly. of the value chain exactly. Matthew you've grown over the years you've related kind of your first inquiry interesting how you started in that sense but I guess your international marketing effort changed over time you know what sure. you do today is very different how did it evolve as as you we were discussing before the program 
it's all about turnover. You know, you, you, you struggle to get the numbers, certain numbers. Once you reach certain numbers, and then you can invest in a structure. I think it's, it's of pristine importance that um, when you're building a business, you have to be prepared well before you expose yourself to the market. Right. Sometimes it's better, you know, delaying a year or so um, before actually going out in the market, you know, saying, you know, I'm ready when you're not actually ready. Okay. So I, I, from my personal experience, I think it's, it's one of the reasons why we've managed to tap markets is because we, when we were ready to go for a market, when we went for the market, we we're actually prepared for it. Okay. It's just like going for an examination. If you're not well prepared, you just don't go for your examination. But well prepared in your case will be the product is The tested. product, um, um, knowing that it's the right product for the, for the needs for the of the customers. Um, I think one of sometimes the mistake of many producers um, from my, my experience is that sometimes they're quite um, stubborn and produce products which they believe are of interest just for them. Okay. Today it's all about what the needs of the customers. Mm -hmm. um, the markets are all the time, consumer needs are changing continually. Every, every year they're changing. You know, this, at the moment um, the buzzwords are sustainability, environment. Okay. You know, you need to adapt, you need to reinvest, you know, you need to uh, reinvent yourself. We've been reinventing ourselves in the last 10 years, continuously at a very, very, very fast pace. And that has been key um, in my opinion, why our company has a certain image overseas today. Because the pet world, and like all businesses, you'd be really, really impressed. The moment you go international, you have all, your, all their eyes you know, on, 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 the, on your business, if it's appealing, okay. and um, they'll be following you. So uh, today we've got social media, I'm mentioning, you know, uh, international marketing. Today it's not about size. Mm -hmm. Today you don't need to invest those millions. We can catch up with multinationals today. Mm -hmm. Multinationals are at, at a big disadvantage today, thanks to all the social media networks there are out there and platforms. Um, and if you work well and you send the right message to the consumers and emotionally you really hit them because you're actually delivering what the customers need, mm -hmm. then it's not difficult. The work comes alone, you know, the business comes alone. Okay. The people come alone as well to join the team. Absolutely. That is very, it is key. No, people don't really mention it. But for example, today we have a structure of um, eight export managers, mm -hmm. um, two export managers who just joined the company worked with a well-known German company for the last years mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and have joined us because they believe that our story is special, is different. Now, we're talking German companies, which are heavyweights. So if you work well and you have the right philosophy, mm -hmm. the right mentality, the right message, mm -hmm. um, being honest and transparent, then, yes, I do believe uh, I mean, anybody who's investing yeah. can achieve the results Aspiring, aspiring. You're mentioning a, a lot of interesting things, including, you know, this thing of, you know, taking on, you know, the big companies in, in pet food. In your case, for the last many years, you've been essentially, you know, a, new, a newcomer, essentially, in a market which, you know, which is populated by a lot of large companies. Is it true that it's kind of easier to build a brand today? Isn't branding the same, you know, that it used to be where you need a lot of money behind the brand? How can you fight? you know, out there with a brand. And this is the same question I'm going to ask Sam as well. So let's prepare. I, I wouldn't say it's easy. Nothing is easy. Um, um, if it's easy, everybody does it and everybody's yeah. successful. I think, first of all, it's all about having a very good strategy, as yeah. I mentioned before. 
uh, and being confident. And also, it isn't a one-man band. I mean, it isn't one person who has to be capable in a company. You need structure. You need to have a very good marketing team. Marketing is key today because uh, I think in Malta now it's evolving, it's changing. But maybe a lot of family-owned businesses, because in Malta predominantly there are a lot of family business-owned businesses, they never really, they, they thought that marketing is a lot of waste resources, you know. Right. I think marketing is key today. Once you have a good product, you need to sell it. You need to go out there and and try and communicate to all the world. The world is not big. Ultimately, today, if you have a good product, through fairs, um, I think fairs have helped us yeah. predominantly. How many fairs do you participate in in a typical year? <laughs> we started, basically, we, we couldn't afford too many fairs because luckily, fortunately, at the time, until today, um, we get assistance from the government. And they pay, there's a cap capping of 30,000. Um, so those 30,000 do help mm -hmm. when you want to start. However, um, we believe that today, for example, at the moment today, we're present, there's a, a show in, uh, in Spain. Uh, we're in Spain doing the first fair in Spain this year. Uh, we have another fair in Dubai, in Middle East. We have another fair straight after in Bologna, okay. which is a very important show. It's the second biggest fair in, uh, in, the, in the pet world, I would say. We're also participating in, in Turkey in October and November in China. Okay. This is so those are five fairs we, we, we do yearly. And that it's you do with a, with a proper booth, etc. pavilion. No? And I think something which is very important, um, which I think I feel I should say it, not because I have anything about trade missions, you know, people who go and, you know, to start, you need to start on a small scale. Mm -hmm. But from the very first shows I did, I never participated with with a clan Malta, let's say like more selling Malta. Okay. We wanted to to look and portray an image where we are with the big guys, mm -hmm. even if it's a small stand. Okay. So for example, uh, let's say Germany, which is the most important show uh, in the world, which is Interzor, it's in Nuremberg in Germany. Um, there are about 14 halls. Now usually you find the American hall, the China hall, okay, okay. you know, and just to mention a few, you know, and they're all cluttered inside each other. It's a mm -hmm. bit confusing. Okay. So what we wanted to do is we identified as a strategy mm -hmm. way back in 2012 when we actually started our first, first international show. We participated, we located our boot very close to key players, okay. key brands. Much, much larger brands, of course. Much larger brands, I'm telling you, massive brands, if I recall well. I remember just to mention one brand, Trixie. Trixie and Carly are, are one of the biggest um, brands on accessories. It was in Hall 6, right in the heart of the show. Even choosing your strategies makes all the difference. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we wanted, although we had a smaller stand, I remember it was just 24 square meters. It was right in the center, mm -hmm. not on the center, but close to, affixed to these big boots. Yeah. So the perception of car customers coming mm -hmm. to look for the big brands, the being present amongst the big guys, yeah. the important guys, helped us a lot yeah. as an exposure. You're punching above your yes, rate, Yes, precisely. Course. So it's even strategies, choosing strategies. Mm -hmm. As I say, having a good product, choosing a good strategy, locating yourself in the right position. Yeah. It's a string of different you yeah. know, um, aspects, but I guess which from... then gather and create synergy. Yeah. In, in a typical year, Matthew, you're, 
you know, on a plane every month, I guess. Now, essentially visiting clients just give us a little bit of an idea. So when I started, I that. couldn't afford to pay export, too many export margins. I started the business the first year I started. It's, there's no, I'm saying it because it's a, it's, a, it's a good story to say, you know, because humbly, um, there's nothing wrong. I mean, the first year I started as a part-timer, I was in textiles working with my father and uh, I left the business and well, after work, basically, and started to create some products and just getting some experience, you know. The first year, I remember very well, I can never forget, in a whole year I sold 10,000 euros. 10,000 euros, that's where I started. That was in 2008. It wasn't too, too long ago. So when I left, the, the biggest step, since at the time I had just got married, I had kids and private schools, you know, you've got expenses to live, to li you know, get, let go of your comfort zone, get, come out of your comfort zone and start something new is very, very difficult because I had house loans at the time, yeah. I had just got married, yeah. it's normal, you know, um, I had to pay my children's private schools, yeah. so the risk was quite, <laughs> quite, quite big at the time, but I knew exactly what I wanted in life, yeah. I had a clear vision yeah. and I believed in this project because when I was in UK at the time in the 95s, um, studying, I was studying there and also working, but on the textile, in the textile division, I could see that the, the pet world at the time was, was booming, you know, yeah. it was really, really, there was such a demand, you know, and academically as well, something which really helped me a lot, because the Maltese people are very, very capable academically, we don't mention it too much, but it's, it's a fact. Um, I was in a university which basically um, very multicultural, 78, 74 nationalities. And the Maltese people, I was also with another fr friend over there, were amongst, you know, academically very successful, successful over there. So I said, if academically we're doing so well, you know, in comparison to all these cult people, you know, from different, all from all over the globe, you know, um, attending university, we're doing so well, why shouldn't we do well also and then when yes, it yes. was it was an opening for me mm -hmm. so uh, when i started mentioning answering your question yes although it was difficult i i knew i had to endure i had to work we had to work hard i had to strike hard personally and the first four or five years i would say i was on a plane once every two weeks so i was one week in malta and one week overseas because i believe that the personal um, contact, the personal um, relationship with the customer was key, first of all, to exactly. help me understand sand the, the brand, That's how key. to build the brand, because I was building the brand as I was going along, and also understanding the customer's demands, you know, the, the market demands, the country's demands, you know, and this helped me, and then, you know, Build, as, build as, the portfolio as, as I went along. Really great. Sam, I want to introduce you again on, the, on two of the many issues Matthew mentioned. Okay. <clears throat> One is this thing of you know, taking care of a client, understanding the client and learning as you go along. Yeah. And second, you know, this branding thing. You also, especially with Galliardi, you know, are you know, fighting out there with the big brands in the sense yes. of retail in, in clothing. What has been your experience? Um, I'll build off, I think, Matthew's points, because I agree with everything that was said about product, strategy, synergy. Um, and I'll, I'll zoom forward from where we were last onto, you know, the, the Gagliardi experience to get this brand, you know, off, off paper into a first collection, into our first exhibition, which from a, a channel point of view, um, even though it was the very first year that I'd started, so 2011, uh, was seen more traditional, but it's where we had our first success. 
And I think what's interesting anecdotally from, from that experience is that we decided to go for the UK market as our, as our first market for the brand, where we're already making for a lot of, of top brands, but we knew we, that we had to differentiate ourselves. And we knew that our, our USP should be price to quality ratio and the design difference. Okay. Um, but we weren't scared of the big boys, we just knew that we were going to have to compete with them in clever guerrilla ways, okay. um, rather than you know throwing or not even having the type of resources that they would have to be able to throw it at, at, at fast and scaled growth. Um, probably, and people forget sometimes the personal impact and effect, at this exhibition, we had a you know a gentleman called um, Jason Robinson who just won the the Rugby World Cup with England, scored in the final. Yes. I was obviously a huge rugby enthusiast, mm -hmm. and uh, couldn't contain my excitement. Within about 15, 20 minutes, we hit it off. He was actually on our stand rather than on the stand he was meant to be representing, <laughs> trying on our jackets, and it's where we met the CEO Nigel Hall of uh, the Western Group, so the owners of Selfridges at the right. time. Mm -hmm. And I think the whole, the energy, the collection, what we had on offer there, it really struck a light bulb in, in Nigel's mind. And the next day he had his top two buyers on the stand and we were given a, a shop in shop um, in, in basically Arnett of Dublin, which was owned by Selfridges at the time. Okay. And Gagliardi was sat alongside Hugo Boss, Hackett, okay. Barber. Obviously, this is an, un an unknown name, but the first thing we did was get Jason Robinson and two other rugby players yeah. from Ireland with a, a great online portal called joe.ie. Okay. Um, uh, interesting <laughs> that we're here speaking to Joe. And we had a, a brilliant launch. And within about six months, we were outselling some of these, you know, these brands who'd been you know, mainstays on, on the marketplace and much more well-known. So much so that they gave us you know, an extra 30 square meters. Okay. Okay. Um, the next uh, opportunity didn't come from a traditional channel, which was obviously an exhibition. Mm -hmm. And this is where I, I totally agree with Matthew, you know, that the, there's huge opportunity now in a disruption happening um, across the digital sphere. At the time, it was just the beginning of, of social media. Right, right. And it was also the beginning of online influencers. Okay. And we managed to get uh, aligned with a wonderful site called Gentleman's Gazette, Raphael Schneider. Today, okay. he's got millions of followers. Back then, he was just starting. Even started, yeah. And the former operators of Hugo Boss in the Balkan region had seen an article about us online. Uh, and then made contact and said, listen, we love what your, what your proposition here, you know, you've got to come out to the market. And it was then that we realized, you know, the definition of competition isn't always in the traditional, you know, let's eat as much market share as we possibly can. Sometimes finding niches within um, that marketplace Precisely. and having more control over the speed and the level at which you grow is a bit of an advantage. So we always said that our agility, you know, if you read the Rockefeller School of Habits, I'm always talking about us being, you know, we're, we're not big enough to be an elephant, yes. and I don't think we ever want to be or will be. We're not quite mice, but we're kind of gazelles in the middle, so we're a little bit more, more agile. And that's what we try to tell the teams regularly, which is don't think about competition in the traditional sense. We can compete, uh, or we don't want to compete in red oceans. We want to try and create blue oceans. Okay. You need to explain uh, that a little bit. And um, well, red ocean, essentially, it's, it's, this is all about strategy. Yes. Uh, red ocean is, is, and that's what the garment manufacturing industry became, yes. ultimately. Everyone it's a bloodbath, yeah. price war downwards, profitability margins constantly being eaten and eroded. 
um, it's basically not a place you want to be which is why we moved into retail and into distribution and wholesale. But even that wasn't enough. Today, we've launched um, our latest retail concept called Bortex and Friend. It's actually an integrated products and service experiences okay. uh, concept. So you've got a craft bakery, you've got wine, spirits, cigars, um, very much like Felix Fogg around the world in 80 right. days, yes. gentlemen's gifting. Okay. We have an old world barber teeth whitening, we're doing, you know, um, made-to-measure appointments with a trio of whiskeys, we're doing afternoon retail. tea. It's still retail, but you're selling, you're selling an experience rather than experience, just a product. Precisely. Um, and that is how we're continually trying to stay ahead, which is not competing in, in Red Oceans, but trying to create new market space where there isn't as much competition and the, the, the demand is greater and so are the margins. Of course, in, in moving from, you know, red oceans to blue oceans to kind of completely new opportunities, I guess, and over time, in any case, even your structure change, you know? So I guess you, you used to have, you know, one person doing marketing 20 years ago. Today, you have a different structure. Can you both, you know, explain a little bit how the structure changed? Sure. Do you want to go ahead, Matthew? As you wish. I, I'm really enjoying you listening to you. I'm learning as well, and it's motivating as well. So, yeah, basically, yes, as I, as I said, we're all the time evolving, you know, as um, Peter Drunker says in his management um, strategies, it's you either innovate or you die. So today, what's, what's key uh, in today's business is evolving and also offering something which the market doesn't cater for. We are also, in the last years, we've taken up, taken it up another step ahead. We're also now in manufacturing. Yes. When we started, we were also just commissioning our work to out, outsource the, produ the products being produced for us. Today, we also are producers of dry food and snacks. We have further plans as well. But uh, in conjunction, we are also um, building our concepts because we believe that concept is the key mm -hmm. to arrive in every it's go going from uh, B2B to B2C basically okay. Okay. so we believe that now we just opened our first flag shop in Malta as well okay. we're planning to open another two soon but uh, these will be showcases to start selling overseas okay. we already have customers this is one of the reasons why I will be abroad this this week because our next step now is to sell since we have um, 650 articles is to start to start also selling our products because you know how it goes when you always have a limitation of space mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. in pet shops in stores you know so this way we can once you can't put anything you want, someone who takes the franchise has to buy all the products. Exactly. But at the same time, which is it's basically identical, what Sam was actually saying, it's, it's key, is giving the people an experience, not just going in a retail. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing is we're offering services. We're the first, um, actually, company uh, which are offering something more than other, other brands or right. other shops, I would say, because brands at the moment, the multinationals are more targeted just selling products. Okay. So this is the reason why we want to open concepts as well and franchises overseas, because we believe that giving them an experience, coming in the outlet, right. having a grooming parlor okay. in the outlet, okay. having a, part, a, a way where we can offer um, a party for, for example, for dogs, okay. people where kids that can come and watch a cinema, a small film, you know, and, and bring the dogs over. Okay. Um, a place for, for 
people, ch children who have problems with autism. But, but, the, but these are, are the outlets you're opening in Malta, of course. This is the first but we're opening as a demonstration, I understand. It's a flagship, but we want to obviously offer more experiences, services, okay. you know, to people. It's not just buying the product. Exactly. It's, it's reaching out to the outlet, to the concept store, but offering something so when the actual customer goes out of the outlet mm -hmm. of the concept store, he's just go, he or she is going out with an experience. Exactly. And obviously today everyone knows that pets are at the heart <laughs> of everybody, you know, and of every family. Families are becoming smaller. Pets are being more more involved exactly. in families. Exactly. So uh, you're building on that assumption. And we're building on this assumption. So building an experience and offering something, um, moving away. From, from the crowd, you know, from what the traditional yeah. um, retail is and offering something which is unique and which can really make an impact. Absolutely. Towards blue, blue oceans as well. Precisely. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, your structure, has it changed over the 30 years or more? Continuously, continuously. Um, I suppose, rather than maybe go from the traditional um, format of answering that question, we're trying to evolve the structure, I mean, such that um, obviously, we have a huge drive on digital transformation, and this is allowing us to obviously scale efficiently while still retaining the true value mm. of the human resource, which is getting them, and this is, I think, a, a problem not just in Malta, but around the globe, getting them to do value-adding work as opposed to administering the business. There's a very big difference. Yes. Um, trying to build data centricity mm -hmm. into the, the culture of their work. Exactly. And we're not just talking about um, uh, descriptive data culture, which is basically just having access to the data, or prescriptive, yeah. but having predictive uh, elements there, and um, an iterative process which allows for, for continual improvements. Okay. It's the same for the tools which we use for the channel marketing as well. So okay. when we talk about digital transformation, we've now integrated um, something called PLM, so product lifecycle management, mm -hmm. which helps us on the manufacturing side of the business. With ERP, so the enterprise resource planning, um, and that allows us to monitor the international um, stores in the same in real time like we do the local stores, which traditionally was actually quite difficult, particularly when you were working with franchise partners or wholesale exactly. partners running or, their own businesses, where your data is not their priority yeah. at the end of exactly. the day. Exactly. So this is something we really want to yeah. take control of. Uh, also, the acquisition strategy of wherever we opened uh, channels that we would have access to the customer data exactly. um, and that is pivotal how you then use that um, and then we obviously integrated our pos we've got a bi tool sitting on top business intelligence tools yes um, uh, and again that uh, has been um, revelationary but also a huge challenge to get live we have a crm and loyalty tool so again that's specifically there's a lot of it integration yes. in the whole process it's it's become the yes. part and parcel of the structural you know progression that we're making within the departments is also based on the infrastructure that we've exactly. built in this digital remit don't get me wrong it's been it's been a double-edged sword so sure. you see the light on one side and you see huge this pain and, of and implementing and, these and kind of things struggle on the other yes. but it's worth it. It's the way forward. Listen, I, I really am running out of time, but I want to give you, you know, half a minute each to, you know, give our, you know, listeners, listeners and audience, you know, your take on, you know, what they should think about in terms of marketing mostly, in terms of international marketing, if they have, you know, a small company they're interested, you know, to take international. Okay. Um, basically, from my experience, I think, first of all, if you don't evolve, so marketing has also 
has to be linked to this. If you don't evolve, you'll expire. Mm -hmm. um, you always have to continue reinventing yourself. Um, people who are actually starting a business, I would definitely tell them that the sky is the limit. Nothing is impossible in life. If you really set your mind for something, size doesn't matter, resources doesn't matter. Everyone who started, started from zero. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, today, okay, you see big companies, um, these big elephants, you know, um, buying all over. Last year, we had 54 acquisitions of factories by big cult companies, multinationals. Um, everyone's buying, you know, big factories, trying to take all the supply chain. However, um, there is one thing, that these big companies move very slow. Because the bigger the setup, um, the <laughs> they also have limitations. Um, it's understanding them, understanding needs. So when you are actually going to implement a marketing strategy, it has to be linked to what the, the public, to what the consumers yeah. need. It's useless trying to create a story which is already out there. Yeah. Um, I always say that business is just like an art. You know, if you're actually, if you buy a print, there is no intrinsic value in it. So create, it's important that people who are starting a business to start with their own um, ideas, create their own art to make it as unique as possible to reach out and acquire all the Thanks. success. Thanks, Matthew, for that. Sam and Rolanda. Because again, I really agree with, with what Matthew's saying here. So I'm going to try and give um, perhaps a, a millennial or a Gen Z answer, which is, you know, we're in an age of huge disruption and the disruption is where all the opportunity is. So leave the fact that we've just had two um, huge events like COVID and the Ukraine war, which have brought the best and the worst out of, out of many businesses and most of our uh, drive to either start or, or continue for our businesses to succeed. But when you start looking at tools like ChatGPT um, coming out and the power, for example, AI, or this great convergence with you know IoT, um, blockchain, quantum computing, when that arises, this is going to create a huge wave of opportunity, like we're talking about with social media, with the, the internet, which is access to information for all. So. Um, apart from all the motivation elements and, and the strategic elements that Matthew mentioned, which is try and spot the opportunities and take advantage of the fact that a lot of people in novel space um, are like deers in the headlights, you know? So, exactly. so that's your opportunity. Absolutely right. Sam Borge, Matthew Uzmaia, thank you for sharing with us your experience of the daily practices of international marketing. If you found this podcast useful, we have others on innovation, nurturing talent, emerging out of a crisis, and what we can learn from sport. You can find them on Spotify, on International Insights, or YouTube for the video version. This podcast series is produced for Trade Malta. They are made possible thanks to HSBC and their international financing solutions. We get technical help from Studio 7. Thanks for listening.